Thank you for downloading the podcast from Paragon Church of Pastor Matt Sellers, Preaching on Evangelism, February 19th, 2012. If you guys would do me a favor, this morning we're going to be going through lots and lots and lots of Bible verses. And since you may not be able to flip quite that fast, I printed off all the verses we're going to be going through over there on the table, as well as extra note sheets. And I really, really encourage each of you today to take notes. I know some of you, that's not your thing. Um, Maybe you want to write notes in your Bible. Some of you might think that your Bible's too sacred to write notes in. A preacher I listen to often actually says that a Bible is just a dead tree wrapped up by a dead cow, so it's okay to write in it. So, you know, we, uh, we have to be okay with that. So if you want to go over and grab those notes, if you don't want to write in your Bible, grab those. Um, there's the large note sheets for those of you who have a little bit harder time seeing, and we have small note sheets like the ones that are slipped into your bulletin. Um, like I said, lots of stuff to go over today. I'm going to move as fast as I possibly can. Um, I read through it last night, and I almost won an hour. So I apologize for that. If you need to stand and stretch at any point in time, I completely understand. And I'll also get the hint to talk faster. So um, do me a favor and answer me this question. The question of the day is this. Who is your favorite Disney princess? Who is your favorite Disney princess? Guys, I promise not to take your man card this morning. It's okay for you to answer as well, okay? So Jasmine... Jazz, I know who it is. I have a daughter. What? What? Now, I'll be honest with you. The far end over here, the one with the long hair. Yeah, from the movie Tangled, her name is Rapunzel. I'd have to say that is my favorite Disney princess. Now, I say that because about three and a half years ago, if you would have asked me that question, I would have said, who cares? Okay? That's my answer would have been to you. But... On August 8th of 2008, I had my own little Disney princess come into my life. And her name is Maylie Grace. And Maylie came into my life, and my house went from being Legos and monster trucks and Hot Wheels to girl stuff. (laughs) Pink everywhere. And we have every one of the movies, and that's not because of me. That's because Grandpa buys all the movies for his little granddaughter, and all those things come. And we watch Disney princess movies all the time to- all the time as a matter of fact it wasn't too long ago that i was sitting with maylee in her room singing along to disney karaoke to the theme songs of each one of the movies that these ladies are in and maylee was singing she knew the words much better than i did but we sat and we sang and it's funny because as i sat and i looked at this and i thought about why in the world my life changed to the point where i'm okay with having Disney princesses in my house and having pink stuff everywhere and pom-poms are also all over my house. There's little sheddings of the pom-poms that are all over my house. And the reason why is because I think when you have an intimate relationship with someone, you care about what they care about. When you have an, an intimate relationship, you care about what they care about. And I thought about it in this way. The same way I play with Hot Wheels and Legos. I didn't even really like Legos when I was a little kid, but all my kids love them, so that's what we play with. I didn't like Disney stuff that much, especially the girl things, but because that's what my daughter does. That's what we play with. I don't play dress up because I can't fit in the dresses, okay? And Facebook is way too easy to get humiliated on, so we just leave that alone. Um, 
the, the whole thing is, though, is because I have an intimate relationship with my kids, I care about what they care about. I learned this early with my wife. When we were first dating, I played basketball in college. And in the time of getting to play basketball in college, um, we were traveling all over. We traveled to Texas. We traveled to California. We go all over the place. And um, in the process of all that traveling, my wife decided that she was going to become a cheerleader because the cheerleaders, and this before we were married, but the cheerleaders got to travel with the team. So because she wanted to be close to me, she did something that may not have been her, up her alley. She didn't do cheerleading in, in high school or anything. But she decided that because she wanted to be close to me, she was going to care about something that I cared about, and that was basketball. Maybe you guys had that same thing. You've noticed in your own lives that you care about something now more than you did before you got engaged, before you got married, before you started dating, because you started caring about something that they cared about. Dads, you have a favorite Disney princess if you have a girl in your house. And the reason for it is because you care about something they care about. Funny thing it is, it carries over to God. This very thing carries over to God and who God is because we should all have an intimate relationship with God. We have talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks and just brought it up even this morning as we talked about dedicating Reagan to the Lord. We've talked about that in, in um, Mark twelve thirty. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbors yourself. We've talked about that, and we passed out those I am third cards. And that's something I've had inside my wallet and inside the dash of my car, so I see it all the time. I am third. It's about loving other things more than we love ourselves. And those other things are God and our neighbors. And we look at that, and we see it, and God, God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son. And because he loved us, we are to in turn return that love. And love him with all our heart and with all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. You guys understand what the word all means? You, you understand what all means to give all? I think we understand the word, but sometimes we don't understand the concept and what it takes to actually do that. Because we are in a growing relationship with Christ, it should be becoming more intimate daily. And because we're loving him with our all, we should be loving him more every day. And as we do that, we should start caring about what God cares about, about what Jesus cares about. If I were to ask you the question, why did Jesus come to the earth? What would the answer be to that? Why did Jesus really come to the earth? See, Scripture is full of some reasons on why he came to the earth, but I think there's one, if there was one main thing, if there's one target area, that one thing would be found in Matthew 18.11 and Luke 19.10. And it says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to find people that were far from God. That is the reason why he came. People that were far from God. And because people that were far from God was the reason why he gave up his heavenly home, came down here and died on the cross. He loved them that much that he would die on a cross for them. He cared that much. That should be something that we care about as well. If you don't get anything else out of the message this morning, that is something I want you to walk away with. We need to care about people who are far from God because God and Jesus cared about people that were far from God. And as we look at that and as we think about that, it brings one word to mind. 
And that's evangelism. That is a scary word for some of you. Probably for most of you. Because evangelism means sharing my faith. It means talking to somebody about Christ. That's the simple definition of evangelism. Talking to somebody about Christ. That's a scary thing to do. Except for about 10% of all believers. You see, because the Holy Spirit, when He comes into our lives, He allows us to have specific gifts. And some of you guys are blessed with the gift of evangelism. That was not my gift. But those people who do have it, they're amazing to listen to and to watch. My friends the Napiers, right here in the front row, their dad, and maybe you guys have it as well, but their dad, Mike, and just a side note, Mitch, right here, shaved head Mitch, uh, second in state yesterday in wrestling, Cleveland High School, that's right, Cleveland High School won state, but I thought I'd, I'd pointed out that Mitch took second yesterday, awesome job, Mitch. Their dad, I'm not even joking, he could go over to that table over there, and he could witness to that table, and that table would get down on his knees and pray to receive Christ. That is how good Mike is at what he does. And some of us will say, well, you know what, I don't have that gift, I have a different gift, I've been given a different gift. So only the 10% have to evangelize, right? Wrong. Just because you weren't given a gift doesn't mean you weren't given the calling. All of us are given the calling. Some people are given the gift of giving. Just because those who are given the gift of giving doesn't mean the rest of us shouldn't give our time and our efforts and our money and things of that nature. Some people were given the gift of evangelism. Some people are given the gift of preaching. Some people are given all different gifts, their service. But just because we weren't given a specific gift doesn't mean we're not called to still do it anyway. God has called us to make a difference, not excuses. God has called us to make a difference, not excuses. Because so many times we can say, you know what, I can't evangelize to people. That's not my gift. But it is your calling. And as we decide to make a difference, if we decide to stop making excuses and we start making a difference, we will make that difference through evangelism. So with that, as you are taking notes today, here are the five realities we must deal with in evangelism. I want to tell you these are not mine. I would love to say that I was smart enough to come up with all this stuff, but I have listened to many and many and many preachers that have the gift of evangelism, and these are some things that they have shared and I've taken and I've put into into some thing, into categories, easy to remember, easy to do, because these guys can go on for hours about it, and I'm just going to go on for less than an hour, hopefully. Um, so the first one is this. Number one, men and women are spiritually lost. And if you want to, you can put spiritually blind and spiritually dead until they receive Jesus. Therefore, we must evangelize urgently. Men and women are spiritually lost until they receive Jesus. Therefore, we must evangelize urgently. Why do we need to do it urgently? Well, being spiritually lost, being spiritually blind, and being spiritually dead has eternal consequences that aren't good. And time is running out. I'm not sure about any of you, but none of you, and myself included, are not getting any younger. We're just not getting any younger. We're getting one step closer. Every breath we breathe is one step closer to our last one. And I know that sounds dramatically morbid, but it is true. 
It is true. There is an urgency that we need to get out there and evangelize. We have got to be about the business of evangelism and evangelizing urgently. Reality number one, the reason why comes from Romans. We're going to be going through Romans starting next week until we get done with it. And as we, as we pound out the book of Romans, I want to point out a few things that have come right from the book of Romans as, as Paul is writing to these Jewish uh, believers or Jewish folks that believe they're really, really good people. And he wants to make sure that everybody knows this. And he says in this, reality number one, everyone has sinned and we are guilty before a holy God. Everyone has sinned and we are guilty before a holy God. Don't believe me? Just go get in your car this afternoon. Go drive around a little bit. Stop off at the mall. Check people out. Just sit and people watch. You don't believe me that everyone has sinned? Just sit. Why don't you go interview a police officer and ask them some questions about things that they, they get to deal with on a daily basis. Everyone has sinned. And the sad thing is, is a lot of people don't even know it. They don't even know that they are guilty before a holy God because they believe they are good people. Just ask them. Just ask them. Hey, you know, I wonder about your spiritual condition. Oh, I'm good. Oh, really? Why? Well, you know, I go to church Christmas and Easter. One of my favorites, and this is not a slam on any other church out there, but I love it when they say, you know, I'm Catholic, I'm good. Okay, why are you Catholic? Well, I was baptized in the Catholic Church. My grandparents were Catholic, my mom and dad were Catholic. That makes me Catholic, I'm all good. I'm just going to be really clear with this. And this, once again, isn't about Catholicism or anything about Protestantism, but I've never read the Bible that said, as long as you go to church, you're good. It doesn't say that. It says everyone has sinned and we are guilty before a holy God. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, it says this in verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. That'd be me. That'd be you. Fall into that no one category. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. And that word all, once again, I think we're going to hit that word a few times today. All have turned away, and they have, become, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one, for what? All. Not for some, not for the people who don't go to church, not for the people who don't have good families, not for those, all. And that means each and every one of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Reality number one is, is everyone has sinned and we are guilty before a holy God. The second thing we need to understand though from the book of Romans is this. God, through Jesus, provided a way for things to be made right with Him. It says in Romans 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Not on our own, not by going to church, not by being good people, but instead through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. Both those things are through Christ. The peace that we have with God and we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. Look what Romans 5.8 says. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin of death, but, and I like to call that the biggest but in the Bible. I guess that's the reason why we have an old lady bending over on the front of our bulletin this morning. The biggest but in the Bible. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 8.1 says, therefore there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 3.36 says, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for, what is that? What's that word? God's wrath. Some people are like, oh, you know what, God, how can a loving God send people to hell? You know what? A loving God doesn't send people to hell. We chose to send ourselves to hell, or we choose to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. But God's wrath is on those who do not accept. And I'll tell you what, that is that reality I was talking about. That is that wrath. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found all over the place. For there's all sorts of names under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Right? Or is the salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Do you see what the Bible says about Jesus and what Jesus did for us and our condition? That is why we need to evangelize. And some people are like, well, Matt, that sounds very intolerant. I'm going to break something to you. I'm not a big fan of tolerance. Okay? Maybe it's my lack of patience in my entire life. But I am more than happy to be respectful. But that doesn't mean I have to be tolerant. Because there's this lie that has permeated the church. And that lie is, is that all religions are on this mountain. And all the different paths lead up to the same top of the peak. And that's where God sits and waits for us. And that sounds pretty. And I would really like that to be true because there's a lot of people going to hell that believe that right now. Because all paths don't lead to the same place. Kind of a partial truth, I guess. Because all paths kind of do lead to the same place if you're without Jesus. It's just not heaven. And that's unfortunate. Some people say, well, that is so intolerant and so insensitive and so narrow-minded. How could you possibly say that? Because Jesus said it first. That's how I can say it. Because in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I know some of you are like, man, that's just, that's harsh talking. If you go to a church that doesn't believe that, you're in the wrong church. I'm telling you that right now. And that is the reason why we need to be evangelizing. Number two, many people... Many people are ready to respond to the gospel. They just don't know how. Therefore, we must evangelize regularly. And that's our calling. That is why we are here every Sunday. That is the reason why you guys come in and set up. That is the reason why you guys come in and tear down. That is the reason why we have people volunteering over in the nursery right now and missing service. Because they are here to evangelize regularly. They are here to reach out to a people group that does not know Jesus as their personal Savior. They don't know Jesus as their personal Savior. Many people are ready to respond to the gospel. They just don't know how, so we have to do it regularly. And I want to share you something about, share with you something about evangelism. It is simply telling people about Christ. There are so many people that have ta- been taught all these different ways and all these major acrostics and all these things and how to use a track. But sometimes we get so focused on 
well, this is the way it has to be done because this is the way I was taught and this is this and this. If that works for you, great. And if people are coming in, Lord, great. But there's a couple of things I want you to know. That evangelism is not only some different approaches here. And the first approach I want to tell you is the terrorism approach. And you're like, the terrorism approach? These are the people that will bomb you with tracts. And maybe you've seen a tract before. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, not a problem. If you're a restaurant server, you probably have. Because for whatever reason, instead of leaving tips, Christians used to like to leave tracks. When I worked at there, and all these guys that were servers would come to me like, look what I got for a tip. I'd be like, I, sorry. And they're blaming me because I was already a Christian and I was professing and telling people that. But they'd get mad because that was what they got for a tip. They want money. Trust me. If you've ever been a server, that's what they want. Talk to them about Jesus. You don't have to throw it on a track and make them read it. The problem is, tracks are great, but sometimes that's all people rely on. They don't talk about it. And there's other times in the terrorism approach, we used to go down, when I was in college, we'd go down to this place called Mill Avenue, and it was the main street that went right by Arizona State University, and there's tons of people out there on a Friday and Saturday night, and there'd be people standing on the corner with bullhorns. Go to hell, repent, turn away, turn or burn. You know, they're just yelling, you're like, oh, that's, yeah, that makes me want, oh, sorry, yes, Jesus, thank you for coming to my life, because that guy's screaming at me, that's exactly what I want in my life. And we would stand down there next to them and be like, hey, what do you think about that guy? What do you think about what that guy's saying? And we get some great conversations going. But, you know, there are different approaches that we can use. Terrorism approach shouldn't be our only one. Shouldn't be our only one. The next one I want you to see is here. Um, we have Romans ten fourteen. We do. Uh, Romans ten fourteen. it says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone what? Throwing tracks in their lap. Nope. Screaming at them from a street corner. Nope. Preaching to them. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. The second approach that we tend to fall into and use this as our excuse for evangelism is the living a good life approach. Well, I live a good life. I'm just going to demonstrate it. Great early church father by the name of a guy named St. Thomas Aquinas. He said, share the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. Loved it. Loved that. But let me tell you something. It's always necessary to use words. Because as much as you would like to say, hey, it's just me about living a good life. Yes, it is. But when somebody asks you, so what exactly is it about your good life? What, what makes you different? And you go... That is not going to work. We must use words to evangelize. We must reach out to people. The third thing I want you to see is this, the invitation to church approach. We think as long as we invite somebody to church, as long as you can come to church and get them to come to church, we have done our duty. Let me tell you something. The people you invite to church trust you more than they trust me. They think I'm out for their money. That's what they believe, because that's what everybody believes about people at church. All the pastors are out for my money. That's not the truth, but that's what they believe, and that's what they walk in thinking. And the only reason why I want them to get them saved is because when they get saved, then they have to give. You know, that's what they're thinking. That's the mindset. I've talked to people about that before. They trust you. So not just invite them to church. Take them out to lunch afterwards. Yeah, all you visitors today, you just got free lunch today, because I just told your people that invited you to take, take you to lunch, all right? You're all good. So... As you're doing that, as you're sitting at lunch, as you're getting ready to leave a tip and not a track for the waiter, talk to people about Christ. Talk to them about what they heard today. 
what they heard on that day. When you take them out to Easter, it might not be as easy to invite them out to lunch. But make sure that you connect with them. It's not just about inviting them. They trust you more than they trust me. Then you have the approach of talking about God approach. The talking about God approach. And it's kind of one of those funny approaches. It's what athletes like to do and movie stars and rappers and, and all these kind of things, you know, all the musicians and stuff. Um, they talk about God. Hey, I just want to give glory to God for beating the pulp out of that guy, you know, during boxing or whatever it might be. All glory goes to God, blankety, blankety, blank, because you're throwing in expletives afterwards. And you're like, yeah, awesome. That's great. That's great. Watching the, uh, it wasn't the Grammys, was it the Grammys? It was the Grammys last week. And right after Whitney Houston had passed away, and LL Cool J got up and he offered a prayer to our Heavenly Father. And I, all the people were like, oh, it's so great that he's praying to God, blah, blah, blah. How do we know what God he's really talking about? When you just throw in the name God, that could mean Allah. If you're a new ageist, that could be all of us. If that could, I mean, it could be anything at any point in time. When we talk about Jesus, though, that brings it pff, right front and center. That's when it changes things. Not just talking about God approach. The final one we have to be careful of also is it's a job for the specialists. It's a job for the specialists. I am not a preacher, so I don't have to talk about God. I don't have to talk about Jesus. It's a job for the special. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Pastor Matt when I get into a, a little bit of a jam. Trying to, I was going to talk to them about Jesus, and I think they're ready. But I'm going to call Pastor Matt because I think he can do it better than I can. It's not what it's about. Look what it says here in Acts 17, 26 and 27. It says, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he's determined to set the times for them and the exact places where they should live. God puts you exactly where you are for a reason. God did that so that men would seek Him. God puts you in your workplace, and God puts you in your neighborhood, and God puts you in your school class, and God puts you in that job that you're in for the reason that God would have men seek Him and perhaps reach out and find Him. He is not far from each one of us. Let me tell you something. Some of you guys in here have some amazing testimonies on how God brought you through a bunch of junk in your life. Others of you have really boring testimonies. At least in your own books, you're like, I wasn't addicted to crack. How, how in the world am I supposed to get somebody saved if I was, didn't have all sorts of messed up things? I mean, I came to the Lord when I was 10 because my parents were good Christian people and I wanted to do that. And I've had, guess what? God has you in a place meaning specific people for a specific reason. No matter how great you might think your testimony is or how boring you might think your testimony is, God has changed your life, and that is what it's all about. I want to tell you a little sidetrack here. I am a breakfast person. Okay, you're like, what? Yes, I'm a breakfast person. I could eat breakfast for lunch, dinner, and, of course, breakfast. As a matter of fact, I could eat it for a snack. Wex is my favorite restaurant in this town. Because they serve breakfast. As a matter of fact, that's pretty much the focus. That's a, great, that's a great thing. Giant pancakes when I want a pancake. Big old papas when I can, you know, stand to eat them. Without just wanting to blow up afterwards. You know, love breakfast. But one of the things about breakfast is that sometimes I just don't have time in the morning to eat it. And that bothers me. One of the things I love to grab, though, these big Texas cinnamon rolls. Anybody ever one of these before? Oh, man. As they might say in the South, oh, my dang. 
These are delicious. If you have enough time to heat them up in the microwave, put a little butter on them. Oh, oh yeah. Excuse me while I eat in front of you. Because I can't very well have one in my hand right here, right? Well, the difference here is, is this. Oh, man, I can't even talk. It's too good. Does anybody want one? You want this one? Here. Because I'm not going to be able to finish it. As a matter of fact, since we're at it, I'm just going to duck behind the stage over here for just a second. And I'm going to, there's my head there. See it? Going back by again. There we go. Oh, got it. And I'm going to come through right here like this because these are good enough to share. Now, the only problem is I only got about 35, 36 of them, and that's just tough. If you don't get one, you're just going to have to go to Sam's Club and get them yourself. How would you mind passing some out for me? Guys, you mind passing some out for me? And as you're passing it out, I just want to share with you something. I just, I just evangelized to you about cinnamon rolls. I just evangelized to you about cinnamon rolls. It really is that simple. If you really like something, you will tell somebody about it. We evangelize about our sports teams. If you are a big fan of a certain sports team, you will talk to people about it. Some of you here are big-time political activists. The reason why you will talk to other people about it is because that is something you are concerned with and that's something you want to talk about. These things are amazing. And you will want to eat one today because everybody else around you is eating one. And you're going to be jealous if you don't get one. If you're sitting in the back, sorry. We have lots of seats up front. <laughs> there are all kinds of things that you can get. And you can think about this with evangelism. It's not that hard. If it's something that you care about and something that you're excited about, then do it. Then do it. As they're finishing passing those out, I am now addicted to a new app on my iPhone. It's called Temple Run. If you've played Angry Birds, that one kind of passed. It's kind of fad. It went away. Except now you can buy t-shirts and stuff. But if you've ever played Temple Run, it's one of those games that will suck your brain dry. I will play it and play it and play it. And I just realized, I've only had it for about two weeks, I just realized that how people get bigger and bigger scores is you can upgrade your character. And I didn't realize that until just yesterday. And I started playing, I was playing yesterday when I should have been doing other things. I was, you know, my face was buried in it. And how I found out about it was because a couple of weeks ago I was driving around with some guys and one of the guys was in the back of the, the van and he was just playing con continually. I'm like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, it's this new game called Temple Run. It's going on and on and on about it. And then I've been doing these radio interviews on Wednesday morning at Static Radio and one of the guys, the DJ, during off time, he's in the back just playing, playing. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm playing Temple Run. That was enough for me to go out and say, hey, it's free. It's a free app. I went and grabbed it. I did it. I started playing it, and I'm addicted to it now, too. And, yes, yeah, some of you are pulling out your iPhones right now going, oh, getting it. <laughs> All afternoon, just be done by 4 so you can be ready for a connection group. Uh, if you can, just pay attention to the time because it will suck your brain dry, I'm telling you. The thing is, is, the reason why I have it is because somebody told me about it. And they told me about it because they were excited about it. And they were living it, and they were playing it, and they were right there in the midst of it all. That's evangelism. It's not that hard. If you love Jesus, which I assume you do, tell somebody about it. 
It has changed your life. Temple Run has changed people's lives. Those big Texas cinnamon rolls, did you put them down? Look at the back of those. Look at the little ingredients on there. Like 10 grams of fat per bite, I think. But you know what? It's going to change your life. It's okay. It's okay to tell people about it. It's okay to tell people about Jesus. It's all right. As a matter of fact, number three, which it leads to us, is this. Believers are clearly commanded in Scripture to evangelize. Therefore, we must evangelize obediently. Anybody in here have kids? Raise your hands. It's okay. We know. We know. Anybody here have obedient kids that are obeying all the time? Yeah, yeah, Ben. I knew Ben. Uh-huh. And I know Mo. Yeah. So we got two out of all the hands that went up. That's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Have you ever wondered Have you ever wondered why it's so hard for us to obey God sometimes? Have you ever wondered why it's so hard for your kids to obey you? It is. It's all about free will. We have a choice. We've been given a choice. And the choice is that we have to obey God's word. That's the next thing. We must obey God's word. Look at all these different verses that say that we need to go out. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Or sorry, 18 and 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, sit on your duffs in church. And make disciples of all nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Guess where those nations start at? It starts in your workplace and it starts in your neighborhood. And it starts right here at school. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Mark 16, 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. John 20, 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Romans 10.13-17, we already kind of talked about this one. It says, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Pretty cool. How then, once again, can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. Because we know where we're at. We know why we've accepted Jesus. We try and persuade men. You ever had somebody, when you're talking to them about Jesus, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, says, you're just trying to convert me. Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what I want. Because I know where you're going if you don't believe where Jesus is. We're trying to convert people because they are spiritually lost, they're spiritually blind, they're spiritually dead. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, get rid of the excuses, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Look at this next thing. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point 
of you. I want you to underline that. So from now on, we no longer regard anybody from a worldly point of view. Why do I want you to underline that? Because I want to ask you a question. How do you normally see people? Students who have kids in class. Your boss. Your family member that's kind of the crazy Uncle Eddie. Um, the moron that cuts you off driving down the road. The server that is going to bring you food. How do you view them? Is it as a boss, as a server, as a moron, as a student classmate? That is the worldly point of view. What God wants us to see is that everybody has a soul. And that soul will spend eternity somewhere. What are we doing about it? Picking it back up here, it says, Though we, were, we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled himself through Christ. Now we're talking about being obedient and evangelizing obediently. You ever think that even the verses we've already read where it says, Go, I'm sending you, you're on your way, we're going to be witnesses because in Judea and Samaria and all these things, even though it says this, this passage right here, that Paul is writing in his second letter to the Corinthian church, makes it very clear. It says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry, the ministry, us being all of us, the ministry of reconciliation. Underline that. Because you know, when God says something in the Bible, he wants us to hear it. But now I want you to see something else. Because not only does he say it once, he says it again. It says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Right? Underline that. Because that's the second time he said, that's our message. Our message is to go out to the people and let them know that they are reconciled to Christ because of what Christ has done on the cross. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. That is us imploring our classmates and our workmates and our family members that don't know Christ. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Three times within four verses. I think it's important. I think it's something that we need to do. And here is a summary of the gospel. God made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness, the righteousness of God. The primary calling of a follower of Christ is to fish for people. I am not a fisherman. I think fishing is boring. It might be relaxing to you, but to me, I am too impatient Give me a stick of dynamite that I can throw in the water and blow up and all the fish float to the top. I'll scoop them out with a net. I am good for the day. I'm not a fisherman. I don't watch fishing shows. I know people that do. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But the thing is, is this. As Jesus made it very clear when he said, you are fishers of men. When he's talking to, to some guys here, we're going to read it here in the passage in just a second. The reason why he says it is because sometimes you're going to be successful and sometimes you're not. And that's okay, but he has called us to go fishing. Look what it says here in Mark 1, 14 through 20. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. 
as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you, and I want you to underline that word make, make you a better person, and I will make you rich. Nope, that's not why I'm supposed to follow God. Sorry. It says, I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. They were concerned with what Jesus was concerned about. They left everything that was worldly to them and followed Jesus. They gave it all. And you know what? They weren't immediately fishers of men, but because they were following Jesus, they were made fishers of men. As a matter of fact, the first time Simon, Simon Peter, got up to preach, 3,000 people got saved. I'm waiting for that day for me. That's going to be fun. Don't see it happening, but you know what? God can do crazy things to crazy people. So who knows? It says, when he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Our primary calling is to fish for men, and we need to follow Christ so he can make us fishers of men. Number four, all of us want to witness, but many do not. Therefore, we must evangelize purposefully. Nobody accidentally shares Christ with somebody. Whoops. That doesn't happen. We don't accidentally share Christ with somebody. The biggest excuse we all have for not sharing is that we're scared. I told you right up front that evangelism word's a scary word. We're scared. And I say we because I'm included in that. And fear will paralyze us. We don't want to talk. We don't want to do it because we're afraid of three different things. The thing is, is 2 Timothy says in verse 1, chapter 7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Here's the three things we fear. Fear of failure. Fear of failure. What if I share the gospel with them and they don't accept the Lord? Well, let me tell you a little statistic that I've heard about. It takes seven, seven contacts for somebody to receive the Lord as a personal Savior. Seven different contacts. Not seven of you, t- or t- seven times of you talking to them. Seven different contacts for somebody to accept the Lord as a personal Savior. Sometimes you're number one. Sometimes you're number seven. Sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes you won't. Don't be afraid of failure. Fear of rejection. You say, well, isn't that the same thing if they turn me down? No, I think it's more a fear of rejection that if we share Christ with somebody, they're going to know that we're a Christian. <gasps> and then... We might actually get rejected by people because people don't like that idea of being a Christian. We don't want to have Christian people hanging out with. There's some fears that come along with that. Look what it says in Galatians 1.10, though. It says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Who are you trying to please? The third fear is this, fear of ignorance. What happens if someone asks you a question that you don't know when you're sharing the gospel with them? That is a big fear. What if they ask a big one out there? And I've got the answer for you. This is what you say. I don't know. I know. I know. I don't know. But I'll get back to you. I'll be happy to get back to you. The Internet's full of all kinds of research. You can find out stuff. You can call me, and I'll look up on the internet for you, because I might not know the answer either. It happens to me all the time. I get questions, I'm like, 
I don't know. But I'll find out and we'll get back to you. It's that simple. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us this. But in your heart, set apart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. What is the reason that the hope you have? Why do you have hope? It's because you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. Do this with gentleness and respect. On to number five. Yes, we are moving uh, faster than I, I'm glad that faster than we were supposed to. The gospel is the greatest news we could ever tell. Therefore, we must evangelize confidently. Therefore, we must evangelize confidently. Now, um, I have something here, in, and we're going to read quickly through this. But uh, it's not going to be up on the screen. Uh, John 4, 1 through 42. And I used to went 42 verses, and it's already eleven ten. Yes, but I, I'm going to roll through this. That way we want to do it next week. Do you, me a favor. Open up your Bibles to the book of John. If you don't know where John is, John, hit the next screen for me. There you go. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. If you're in any of the other books after it, go backwards. If you don't see it, go forwards, okay? So open up to that real fast for me. Real fast for me, and I'm going to read to you about Jesus putting this very theme in action. Where it says, the gospel is the greatest news we can ever, ever tell, therefore we must evangelize confidently. It says this in verse 1 of John chapter 4, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back at once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. I want to pause right there for just a second. Because geographically, he could have went in a straight line going north. The thing is, is that as we know, maybe you do, maybe you don't, Jews did not go through Samaritans because Jews and Samaritans were at each other's throats all the time. So they generally would walk around, up, and over. Instead, Jesus said he had to go. He didn't have to go geographically because he could have chosen a different route. He had to go because that's where God called him to. And if you're filling in blanks, Go to where the people are. That's what verse 4 tells us. Go to where the people are. Now he came to a town in Samaria in verse 5, near the plot of ground of Jacob that he had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired and he was uh, from the journey, so he sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now I already told you, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't mix. Well, on top of that, Women were at the low end of the Samaritan totem pole, and Jewish men were at the very top. They didn't really mix. But Jesus says, will you give me a drink of water? He began to build a relationship. That's the next thing we see. Number two, began to build a relationship with her. His disciples had gone into town to buy food, verse 8 says. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. How can you get this living water? You, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He changes the subject. He lays out the real reason for being here. He lays out who he is and about what he's about. He creates an interest in her in this changing. He creates an interest. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and, and, uh, and have to keep coming here to draw water. She obviously didn't get the point. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is just quite true, she said. Jesus just smacked her in the face with the truth. And the truth is that everybody sins. And he told her about it. The next thing we need to learn from this passage is don't be afraid to talk about sin. Don't be afraid to talk about sin. And that's part of our testimony. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Well, duh. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that place where you must go and worship now is in Jerusalem. She tries to change the subject again. As she's changing the subject, he says, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Jesus brings it back. Stay on target with the message. It is very easy for people to try and change it. So stay on target with the message. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in the truth. For they are the kind of worship the Father seek. God is Spirit and His worshipers worship in the Spirit and in the truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. First time in all scripture that Jesus claims to be God, claims to be the Messiah, and he does it to a Samaritan woman. But the thing is we learn here is get to the point. Get to the point. And the point is Jesus. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Look what happens next. Then leaving her jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out to the town and made their way towards him. I want you to see that. She just met Jesus. Now she's got the entire town coming to meet Jesus. Something we need to take into account. It says, Meanwhile, his disciple urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you didn't know about. Could someone have brought him food, they asked? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. And this is where all these people were coming. One lady brought the entire town out. He says, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one who soaps and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. The end result, many of the Samaritans, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Because of the woman's testimony. Because a woman who had just met Jesus went and said, she didn't know the five points of Calvinism. She didn't know about Arminianism. She didn't know all the different theological aspects of Jesus. She had just met Jesus. And because of her testimony, because of her testimony, many, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. You know that you can make a difference. You know that you can make a difference. I want to wrap up with this, and I'm sorry I've kept you a little bit longer than, than our normal, normal morning, 
I knew it was going to happen, but I was really excited and had to get all this out and just, just boom, right on your face. Sorry about that. Um, do me a favor, John, r- roll the next slide for me. Easter service is coming up. I am really, really excited about Easter. I've been laying awake literally for the last three nights in a row. One o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. I am staring. As a matter of fact, that one, one, one card where I said pray for one person for one minute at one o'clock, I've been doing that at one o'clock in the morning because I'm awake. I'm like, well, there's nothing else to do. So I'm praying for that person then. I'm praying for my neighbor across the street, praying for them and saying, God, do what you got to do. But I am so excited about Easter. I mean, I am honestly planning for 250 new families to be over in the concert hall with us on Easter. And that might be crazy thinking, because what if there's four people per family? Well, if you're a good mathematician, you know that that's like 700, I mean, 1,000 people. That's 1,000 people coming in, and four people per family were to come in and be a part of that. That'd be an exciting, exciting day. And what if 100, just 10% of them, gave their lives to Christ? How exciting would that be? And if what if, let's just say this, let's just say for the next, because God is just a God that's amazing and blows our minds sometimes, let's say that on the Sunday of Easter, 100 people come to know the Lord, and for the rest of the year, every Sunday, 100 people give, their name, give themselves over to Christ. They receive Christ as their personal Savior. Look at this. At the end of the year, 5,200 people will be saved. At 10 years, 26,000 people would be saved. That'd be pretty impressive, right? I mean, seriously, for a church like us? Yeah, I could write that on the Baptist report that I got to fell out. 26,000 people saved over 10 years. Boom. How about that? 20 years, 52,000 people saved. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. But then I got to thinking about this. What if, we probably have 100, 115, 120 people in here, some in that area. What if 100 people, you 100, me included, decided that this year we are each going to find one person? That one, one, one. Find one person, share our faith with them, lead them to the Lord, and disciple them to do the same thing next year. What if we did that? If each one of us just reached one person over the next 15 years and designed them, what would that look like? Let me show you. This year, 100. Us, 100. By the end of next year, we'd have 200. By the end of year two, 400. If each person would just take a person Disciple them, and then they do the same thing, and we continue to do it. Every year, year three, 800, year four, 1,600. Well, that doesn't sound quite as good as those other ones, right? I mean, those other ones were like 52,000. Year five, 3,200. By year seven, 12,800. John, next one for me. Year eight, yeah, still not quite there, but by year nine, we're just shy of that 52,000 all of a sudden. By year 10, well, hang on a second. By year 15, if we were to do that, we see the entire state of New Mexico saved during the year of 14 and 15. Entire state of New Mexico. Do you realize by year 20, if we were doing that, the entire world blows you away a little bit. Got some goosebumps going on. All the hairs in my arms are getting really fuzzy. Just think, if you could just reach out to one person every year, and they can in turn reach out to one person every year. And that were a pattern that were to take place. We could change the world, the entire world, in 20 years. In 20 years. Gets me a little choked up. And it all starts with you. And it all starts with me being willing to take one person 
Have you been praying for that one person at 1 o'clock for one minute every day? Or is that just something you say, nah, it's a cool card. Got one right here. If you need one, I'd be happy to give one to you. Have you been praying for that one person? That God would change their life and use you to do it? I hope so. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for today. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and that we have a message that we can share that he has changed our lives that he has changed everything about us, that he is the one that has worked into our sinfulness and is cleaning out the junk. And some of us still have some junk left, but God, you have come in and you have changed everything. You have changed my life. You have changed my family's life. You have changed the lives of the people around me. It's not me, but God, you're using me as a tool for your glory. And God, I pray that happens to each and every person in this room. Just one person can make a huge difference. Help us to understand that. If there's somebody in this room that didn't know any of these things we've talked about, that God, you are saying, hey, guess what? My son is the only way. God, I pray that you have them come and speak to me today. So that they can learn just a little bit more about who you are. We pray it all in your name. Amen.